Hello everyone, this is Trey Borden, and welcome to this episode of What We Gonna Do. Welcome to another episode of What We Gonna Do. Today, I wanted to talk to someone who um, really has an insight into these police departments. Obviously, we've seen, you know, kind of the reaction from law enforcement to protests about law enforcement. And they've really run the gamut. I mean, mostly we've been horrified, but we've also seen some examples of compassion and solidarity, rare but powerful. Um, and I wanted to talk to my friend Sujit, who um, his company Elucid, they basically collect data from communities uh, by using digital surveys and other tools that can give clients a kind of real time assessment of community sentiment. And so a lot of their clients are police departments. And so you know, he's a guy who, uh, you know, Obama alum, a trained lawyer, and really, really awesome guy. And so I'm like, I want someone who I can trust, who has an insight into um, what's going on and kind of what's the logic and kind of processes and the data. How are they using this and what are they collecting that can maybe help inform the public as well about um, what a different relationship with the law enforcement community can look like. Good to see you, man. How are you? I'm okay. Do you... Uh... You've been following this Lindsey Graham stuff online? Um, I hear that. No, I haven't seen what he's done online, but I do know that he's now neck and neck with uh, his challenger, that black challenger. What's his name? Jamie Harrison. Jamie Harrison. Yeah. So what's he saying now? Is he freaking out? Uh, he's not saying anything. He's getting outed. As gay? Oh, my God. That is fantastic. <laughs> and horrifying. <laughs> That's that how is, I feel too. Like I feel I'm like, just like, well, I mean, he did seem like he was gay, but I was like, I don't even want to think of him sexually, honestly. Totally. And it's like an open but wait, story. has someone admitted to sleeping with Lindsey Graham? So there's like That's the whole, real story. There's this whole thing on Twitter where there's basically somebody who says he's like, look, like I haven't been following it super closely, but he's like, I'm a sex worker. It's an open secret that like a prominent Republican senator who always votes for like really homophobic uh, pieces of legislation like routinely hire sex workers. And so I am inclined to out this person, but I don't know the ethics of it. I also don't want to be the only one. And then I guess a bunch of people DM'd him and was sort of like, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll stand by. Girl, him. let's get it. Let's hold hands and out this bitch. Yes. That see, that's what I'm saying. When you push people to the brink, you know, these hoes will get it together too. They're like, girl, let's go. Yep. Totally. Get him. Um, okay. Well, I will thank you for bringing that to my attention. I will certainly. Be I looking. thought, I thought you might be interested in that. I am highly, highly interested. Um, but I'm also highly interested in uh, this law enforcement situation. So thank yeah. you so much for joining me, Sujit. A pleasure. Yeah. I know you. this must be a very busy time for you and your company. And so I appreciate you. And also just like psychologically and emotionally for us all, this is just heavy shit, um, for sure. especially for someone who is so... Um, who is so familiar with it has relationships with so many law enforcement kind of agencies and departments. And so um, why don't we go ahead and say, kind of explain, you know, your role and kind of what a lucid does yeah. and kind of like what its role is relative to these uh, police departments. In, in parts. Yeah. So uh, I work at a company called Elucid and we are a data research company that essentially our mission is to bring people's voices into the rooms where decisions get made. And those decisions can be from city governments, they could be from city police departments, from companies, um, all different organizations of all shapes and sizes. And essentially what we do is we're, 
we go out and we gather survey data in a given city or in a given state or whatever and derive insights digitally digitally through digital ads um, which basically you know traditional re- i should say a quick note traditional tr- survey research where your phone rings in the middle of dinner and it's an unknown number and you answer it is obviously a decreasingly effective way to reach Extremely. people and meanwhile like digital devices and the use of internet connected devices is only getting larger and larger and that holds true across all major demographic variables right across different races across different age groups income groups education levels um sex and gender etc and so increasingly the devices we all carry in our pockets mine is over there because it always buzzes um are a really good way to reach people where they are and to ask them questions about the things that matter most to them or matter most to their community or or whatever And so Elucid is a company that basically takes that idea of reaching people where they are and asking survey questions about important issues and providing measures and insights about people's sentiment about important issues to in real time in real time to the people that care about those issues and that are in a position to to make decisions related to how people feel. So across the country we're a small startup but we work with, you know, over a dozen city governments and police departments of all different shapes and sizes essentially to help them measure and understand community sentiment how people feel in communities about police about their government about public safety uh how safe do they feel in their neighborhoods how much do they trust their local police what's the number one issue that they want police to focus on and i think we're seeing some really interesting uh trends on that last piece all right we'll switch we'll talk about it later i bet Um so that's kind of the core of what we do um you know essentially our our vision is like all of the traditional ways that city governments have and police leaders have to interact with people are oftentimes either anecdotal or sometimes it's tough for them to hear each other and it's tough for them to hear what communities are actually saying and sometimes they don't want to hear what communities right. are and they can say okay i've gone to five different community meetings and i've heard the same uh, organizations pushing for the same issues and they can say to themselves like well i don't know how many other people necessarily feel like that or that's just an organized issue and so maybe they won't pay attention to it or maybe it actually is something and oftentimes i think what we're seeing now is it is something that a lot of people care about right. it's not something that people were speaking up about and so what we try to do is to basically bring the people's voice into the room in a way that you know so that people don't have to go to meetings to have their voice heard so right. that leaders can actually understand how people feel and can and can make decisions based on that um hopefully more responsibly and obviously you have no impact on kind of what they do with that information obviously it's up to them to act on it or not but you're yeah i mean it, it's ultimately up to them i think we you know we encourage them obviously i mean first and foremost i think the thing that we encourage is we encourage them to listen to say like hey these are real voices from real people in your communities and they should be heard and you should be paying attention to it and you should be taking actions based on it one of the things that we often encourage them to do is you know city leaders they have tons of community meetings they have tons of listening sessions but as we know it's not always everybody in the community that shows up to them Right. I mean we talked we talked briefly about that that uh now infamous Zoom the LAPD department had where yeah. uh I think it probably was a little bit more engagement than usual. Uh and I, I would say so I mean I think you know I've been to a few of the LA uh, police commission meetings over the years and 
just as a spectator. And, you know, usually a few dozen people, they go for a couple hours. I think this one that they did most recently on Zoom went for, I don't even know, maybe five or six hours just because there were so many people who wanted to be heard and should be heard. And so I do think also the world we're in now in a world of COVID where so many face-to-face ways of interacting are either ill-advised or unsafe or outright prohibited. I mean, we think it's more important than ever that government leaders hear from the people that they serve and can be held accountable for the things that people want and the things that people care about. And there's so many things to care about, right? So I think that that's also like what we're seeing is I think more engagement total. I mean, people A, have the time because they are stuck at home all the time, but it's also like people are dying and like now yeah. we're, and now we're protesting against the very forces that, you know, we're discussing. And so I, you know, I really thought it would be interesting to talk to you about your insights into kind of like how they are making decisions. Cause I think that, you know, most people don't interact with police unless something's wrong, you know, yeah. or in this case, uh, it's at a protest, which is protesting something gravely wrong, you know? And so you're not really seeing people at their best. Um, kind of like, how would you assess, the overall kind of um, orientation of law enforcement uh, over these last couple of weeks, as you see, or maybe since yeah. you began this work, I mean, because obviously these protests yeah. and these issues are new, but they're being, you know, kind of coming to a head now. So if you could explain like an arc for people who yeah. don't have any experience that. Uh, I'll, I'll use the last few weeks kind of as an example, as something who, as somebody who like pays attention to how, police leaders and police departments, police chiefs and sheriffs and everybody, somebody who pays attention to how they react to things that are happening across the country in their communities in the news. I've noticed some interesting trends over the past few weeks uh, since George Floyd was murdered. So one is that traditionally, like in, in months and years past, whenever there's a horrible video of somebody getting killed by a police officer, you will oftentimes see um, uh, police leaders of all different stripes, you know, say various things. And oftentimes you'll hear some version of like, well, we want to wait for the facts. We don't want to prejudge. It's important that we investigate. And you'll hear that from district attorneys, from city attorneys, from mayors, from police chiefs, everybody. In contrast, I think once the video of George Floyd uh, sort of went, got released and, and went public, the reaction I saw was totally different where Mm. police chiefs of all different shapes and sizes of all cities, big and small ones that are sort of thought to be more progressive ones that are maybe not as progressive, or would you be surprised to think of as progressive um, pretty much universally and immediately and unequivocally condemned what happened. Right. And they said like, this is wrong. Uh, Those officers should be fired. And if, and this is the part that I thought was new, anybody who thinks that's not, Anybody who sees nuance here, you shouldn't be a police officer. Like, oh, wow. This is like calling each other out was something that was like a new, a new dynamic. And, you know, of course it happens, but like I certainly never saw it happen in public so quickly, so uniformly, so categorically. And I thought that was interesting. You have like major police organizations, the major city chiefs association is sort of like, you know, one of the, the interest group or the professional groups for the police chiefs of the largest cities in the country in North America. And they issued, I think they issued an official statement like condemning what happened and essentially saying the same thing, which is like, if you think there's any ambiguity there, you probably shouldn't you get out of it. You're in the wrong job. Yeah. And I thought that was like pretty encouraging actually, right? Like, Oh wow. Maybe there's, you know, maybe things will go forward. And I think what was 
disheartening for me as a person was once protests uh, started happening more widely and when a few of those protests had incidents of violence and looting and, and, and things like that, I, I saw the tone change. And I think like the tone changed where all of a sudden you were hearing less about like the categorical wrong that we had all witnessed and more about like, well, looting is never the way. And of course that's true. But like focusing on the like isolated incidents of that versus the broader like problems of injustice that spurred you to action just a few days before, I was hoping that that would be something that's carried forward a little bit more. And, right. uh, you know, I think, I think we're starting to see a little bit more of that maybe in the past couple of days, but I think over the past week when there were widespread protests, many of which were being broken up by police or many of which were ending. And we saw videos on social media. We still see them today of a lot of violent confrontations between protesters and police. And I think like, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to make those, to make the connection between those two, which is like, well, wait a minute, like a week ago, everybody was saying that we all agree that reforms need to be made. And so I just, I hope that leaders in cities all across the country are still listening and are still hearing that mandate for reform and are still hearing the voice of communities that want things to change. And one thing that I'll say also is like, we see that with our tools. So one of the things that our tools do in addition to like, we give metrics that, you know, by looking at the average answers to survey, survey questions about measuring things about how safe people feel and measuring components of trust and police and things like that informed by research about the best way to do that. Um, we can get an under like an objective metrics understanding of sort of like the level of trust and how it's changing over time. And that's interesting, mm -hmm. but we also give qualitative data about like, what's the number one issue that you in your community that you want police in your neighborhood to focus on. And I would say up until a week ago or two weeks ago, you, the vast majority, like you said earlier, like the vast majority of people are never the victims of nor witnesses to violent crime or perpetrators or perpetrators of violent crime of any crime. Right. And so when you ask like ordinary people, like what's, what do you want police to focus on in your community? Oftentimes it's pretty, you know, small issues, right? Like people being like, well, sometimes it's really loud at night, loud at night. The most common issue we see in cities is really often is like streets and traffic related issues, people speeding, people running mm -hmm. stop signs. I don't feel safe when my kids are crossing the street, things like that. And the comments that we get, we sort of get this like raw feed of these anonymous comments that, um, that, you know, our partners have access to and, and our customers have access to so they can understand, okay, people in this neighborhood, these are the issues that they care about. These are the things that are coming up most often. Over the past two weeks, those comments have changed. And all of a sudden, you're seeing a lot more people that are speaking out saying like, who care about issues of systemic racism and care mm. about reform in their police department. And all of a sudden, they're speaking up about all kinds of issues that maybe they're just realizing, maybe they're just speaking up about, um, and what have you. And so I think that's sort of like an interesting an interesting trend that we're seeing in, in and is that because you guys have always offered that option and they're choosing it more? Have you guys been kind of changing the survey questions and the available? Okay. So this is something that like, we always have measured change. It's not like they yeah, have like this brutality racism button before. Exactly. And actually it's open-ended. So it's not even like we're, we're not oh, even. Wow. Like oh, okay. Venture. No, no, no. It's, it's people in their own work. Qualitative. Okay. Right. 
purely qualitative. And we have, you know, algorithms that sort of like categorize the, the comments into the, the topic that they relate to. Um, but we also provide the raw feedback because the feedback is really rich and can be really uh, useful and, and actionable. Have you been actually seeing more participation as well? Or does that say constant somehow? Uh, it's hard for me to say. I, I think like the way we do it, we do it through digital ads. And so we sort of manage like the volumes we know based on the size of the city. These are the numbers of survey responses that we need to get per month to have like accurate measures, et cetera. I, it does feel like it's maybe getting a little easier, but I don't want to speak for that because I don't know the data offhand. Sure, sure. But well, I, I mean, absolutely say that the nature of, I've been looking at the comments over the past week and in cities big and small, there is something different about the nature of the comments for sure. Well, and also I think, you know, there's not just like the city as a whole, but like probably people in Beverly Hills versus people in Compton or people in, you know, inner like South Bronx versus Midtown probably have very different viewpoints or like even people who are, I mean, I'm not sure if you have a, a way of not doing it geographically, but like, do you own a business versus like, mm -hmm. are you, you know, a young, you know, student? Um, kind of like, how has yeah. this been, how is sentiment, before we get more into the law enforcement, just like, yeah. how have you seen sentiment within cities kind of shifting or has it? What we see traditionally is there's always variations along a few different layers within a city when it comes to sentiment. So one is obviously geography, right? Like different, like you said, like the South Bronx is going to feel differently than people in Upper West Side, to use a New York City example. Um, the same is true in almost every community in America. But there's obviously demographic differences as well, right? Like certain communities are going to have higher or lower um, trust in police at any given moment. And, and of course, like that's interesting for people to know. I don't know that it would be earth shattering to, to learn that there are different, you know, like obviously. Um, but I think what's interesting is when you start to see a, like how things compare over time in a given city and how things start to change and move. And that's something that we try to, to help people understand is like, Hey, actually, you know, trust is, is tacking up in this part of the city or it's tacking down in that part of the city. Um, and so that's, that's something that we try to track. I think we have noticed big shifts recently, especially among young people. Eight, when, and by young people, I mean sort of like 18 to 34. Um, and I think sort of anecdotally, if you look- Just missed young, damn. I know, right? Um, sad, I'm sad. On the other side of that. <laughs> um, and if you look at sort of like, you know, I, I, I've been out, you know, participating in peaceful protests. And I think like, if you look out just anecdotally of the composition of a lot of protests, like a lot of them in big cities are, there's a lot of young people, you know? And so that that's reflected in our data. I do think we see that. But it's not limited to that. We are seeing, I think we are seeing shifts in like pretty much all demographics and absolutely the comments that I mentioned, like even in neighborhoods that are not, you know, essentially black and brown neighborhoods, right? Like we're seeing people talking about systemic racism and we're seeing people talking about police brutality. And that is a new trend for sure. Well, I think that, you know, that is really interesting. Uh, and it's like, you know, and I can kind of, you can kind of see it just based on, you know, even me without access to your data. Like there's people I know who have never posted anything political, let alone about race. Yep. And they're using words like anti-racist, using words like, you know, systemic, you know, institutional violence against black and brown bodies. I'm like, Abigail, <laughs> you know, 
Jeez. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that's really easy to, to see and kind of easy to understand. Yeah. What's harder, which, what is harder to understand is that, you know, these protests emerged from a horrific murder, you know, that we all saw with our own two eyes, including police. Yeah. And the protests are to combat the, this kind of like pervasive violence and over policing and brutality from law enforcement. And then the law enforcement shows up to many of these communities and are doing the thing that we are protesting. And so I wonder kind of like, how do you measure or what is your sense of like the rank and file police officer? You know, I mean, the chiefs might be able to make these statements and say like, this is wrong, but like, they're not on the ground. It's not a bunch of chiefs that are, you know, so what is your sense of that? Yeah, I think it's a really good point is one of the things that we've seen in, you know, with George Floyd's killing, as well as what's happening all across the country is like this disconnect between what chiefs say, believe, do, policies that they change, principles that they put in place, and what actually happens on the ground, and what actually people, and obviously what matters to people in communities is what happens on the ground, because the interface between the police department and communities is often the officer on the ground. And so I think in Minneapolis, for example, like, they have in recent years undertaken a lot of reforms. I know there's, there's a lot of data about like outcomes there. That was, uh, that's not really good. And I heard Dorit McKesson talking about this the other day on a podcast, um, just about how some of the outcomes there sort of showed that there were wide disparities, but even just at the level of like policy and oversight and like policy reform in the Minneapolis police department, I think to my knowledge, they were a department that like people look to as like, okay, they've made a number of changes. You had a chief that was, you know, uh, trying to push the department. On board. Yeah, and pushing the department in the direction of reform. And I think when you see something like what happened to George Floyd in a place like that, it really drives home the point of like policy and leadership is essential and important, but it's only part of the equation. And so you see a lot of, you know, the activism that's happening this week around policy changes, right? Campaign Zero is a fantastic organization that's really smart on issues of, of campaign, or of, uh, excuse me, of uh, criminal justice reform. And they're talking about this new campaign of Eight Can't Wait, where there's all these different policies that if you put them in place, they have data that shows that it leads to better outcomes and it reduces violence, which is their number one goal is Campaign Zero. And you see like, the smart thing that I think is being that I'm happy to see as like part of this conversation is like policies are important, but what really matters is how they get implemented. And you got to make sure that like everyone on the ground is on board and everyone on the ground has the incentives to act in the way that you, that we want them to act as members of the community. And so I think like the, the point about talking about the different, like having all the chiefs say one thing, is important, it's necessary, but it's nowhere near sufficient for things to actually change for people on the ground. Right. And I, I mean, I mean, can you give us any insight? I mean, obviously, I don't know how many ride alongs you're doing or whatever that would give you the insight into the kind of mindset of these police. I mean, obviously, they're putting on riot gear. You're not doing that to go to a tea party. You know, you're doing that already kind of like summoning a very combative and kind of uh, adversarial interaction. Um, but I mean, it seems to me like this is like not even in their self-interest. I mean, you saw this guy in Buffalo, the 75-year-old man pushed to the ground by a cop, you know, bleeding from his ear. And then, a you know, many, many cops just step over this old man. It's like, what is a cop 
supposed to do except pick up a bleeding old man off the ground. They're not even doing that. So it's just like, what is going on with them? Yeah. If you have any ability to kind of speculate. I'll be honest. I don't. I, I think I, I see videos like that and pretty, pretty shocked. Um, I don't, I don't understand what I'm seeing in a lot of, in a lot of, well, no, let me rephrase. Like, I don't understand what is happening. You know, like, I think, I think like I'm just as shocked as by a lot of the, the videos that I'm seeing as, as everyone else is. Um, I have been on ride alongs with people and like, you know, it's, it's, it shocks me. I, I would, I would, the, the things you're seeing in, in cities, big and small all across the country is shocking. And disturbing. And, you know, I think that like, you know, it calls and it's like, it kind of, it, it kind of legitimizes the protests at the same time. Cause you're, I mean, you hate that to be the outcome where you're like, you guys are saying it's not a problem. And then now you're proving it again, that it's a problem. Um, I mean, I think that also I mean, like, I, I almost wonder if like that is what's driving some of what we're seeing in the data, which is people who probably before never said anything and never spoke up and never pushed for and never expressed opinions about issues of systemic racism and police brutality and things like that, where all of a sudden these issues are getting mentioned very often in cities big and small. And so are much more often than they were before. And I do think like what people are seeing, not just in their own city, but especially in a world now where we're all at home, um, or at least most of the time we're at home, then like, I think you see, when you see things on your phone or on the news, then I think that drives you to action a lot more now than it did even a few weeks ago. And, you know, I think that also what we've seen, you know, I don't, this is not police departments, but these are kind of police advocacy groups that, uh, I mean, they reflect because I'm thinking like, you know, I'm, does a lucid also collect data from these forces? Uh, I mean, and what would that look like? It's like, could we yeah. actually, I mean, what tools are there to be like, what are the police people thinking? Because they must be in some completely different world than I'm in. That's interesting. So it's not something we've done, um, but it's something that would be interesting is to like assess sentiment of members of a police force and look for, for correlations and look for uh, interesting overlaps and just to get a sense of what's happening. I mean, you can imagine that would be interesting. We haven't done it, but it would be something worth That would be, I mean, because you guys have access to all of these departments and trust. It's not like, you know, MSNBC going into police or Rachel Maddow being like, I'm going to be very objective about what you guys yeah. say. It's like, yeah, I yeah. think that the, the trust can go. The, well, cause that's the thing. It's like the trust has to go both ways. And so does the communication and yeah. so does the information. Like yeah. I would love to know in the Sacramento police department when I was up there, like, what do y'all think about Stefan Clark? You know, what do you think is, uh, is there a, a over-policing or racism problem? I mean, I see by who you elect to lead your associations that, you're not down with reform, but like, you really like not right. see what we're seeing, you know? Right. So I would be curious for you to kind of spearhead or. Yeah. I mean, also the, 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 the gradations and diversity of opinions within, uh, within police is obviously, obviously wide. And so like, you know, recently in the past few days, I've seen a lot of like the national organization of black law enforcement executives, noble, uh, and a lot of other organizations are sort of like sub organizations within police um have been putting out a lot of statements talking about commitments to reform and making sure that you know as we go forward that real change is enacted and that the message that's being communicated by protesters is heard and received and really sort of digested 
Um, and so I do think, I do think that, you know, there are, there are, there are uh, elements of that. And I just, you know, to the earlier point, like, I just really hope they're listening. You know, I really hope that like, there is a, there is a chorus right now and it's an all different, it's coming in in many different forums. And one of them is the ones that, that we have. Right. And I think that like in terms of culture, you know, I mean, it doesn't appear to be an organization or a field that like welcomes in inner descent. Um, and I think that a lot of what is going to have to happen for like, you know, for this stuff to trickle down from the chief or the mayor to the boots on the ground is like an actual cultural shift within forces. And like, what, how can you, can you speak at all to that? Cause most of us don't know what it's like to be, to be in this type of organization and like, what would it look like to change it at all? Cause a lot of people are now saying like, just get rid of this shit or defund it completely. Or like, let's completely reprioritize our resources to figure out other things. That seems like a long-term plan. Um, right. And so what a cultural shift, but kind of like, what do you have to say about that? I mean, I do think like, I think cultural shifts are, are necessary. And I think cultural shifts require like exactly what you said, like the internal, like one person correcting their colleague, one person correcting their partner, a, a supervisor correcting an officer that he or she, that she supervises, watch commanders, things like that. Like those, those, those corrections and those conversations, like they need to happen at the micro level in order for there to be change at the macro level. The same thing that we're talking about, like, broader issues of, you know, addressing systemic racism, like it, all those things start, like there are important policy changes we have to make, but it also requires like, you know, people talking to their families, people talking to their friends. And I think the same thing is necessary there. I don't, I don't have any, I confess, I don't have like good insight on how to make that happen. Um, oh, but I think it's necessary. And I, I mean, I hope like our, our vision, like as a company, frankly, is that like institutions when given good data, good incentives and accountability can improve, right? And like our vision is like, if you bring people's voice into the room where decisions are made, that better decisions can get made. And I think we will see in this coming period, you know, I think that that assumption is, you know, this is as good a test as that assumption has ever had. And so I think we will see whether, you know, whether government institutions of all kind, um, how quickly they can respond to what people are asking for. Well, I really hope that, you know, before we go, I wanted to say, I really hope that we can capitalize on this engagement. I mean, I don't know what your plans would be that you'd be ready to talk about now at least, but like now that you've seen like all this increased engagement and knowledge and willing to discuss this stuff, like is there even more robust ways to not only collect the data, but to bring people into the room? I think that like, you know, having a bunch of data that's kind of numbers and, and kind of kind of disaggregated quotes and things is fine. But like, I think that because the, the protest is one way of doing it, but it doesn't seem to be an effective tool to reach police. You know, it's an effective, it's actually a better tool at reaching the public. You yeah. know, Cause like they're the ones that are seeing these protests and analyzing what's happening. The police are there as a kind of blunt instrument to make sure that certain things don't happen. And typically it's they're only they're only really got one tool so that's why you see them using it banging people on the face um but if there's a way to kind of take the voices and the kind of um engagement that these protests represent and then bring them into a format and into a less heightened into you know like what we talked about doing with pride it's like maybe there's a way we could have a conversation with police virtually that we actually couldn't have in real life because of the emotions involved yeah i mean I, i do think that's actually something else that we've seen is like 
you know, by sharing your opinion through a digital survey that's anonymous, there's a level of candor that comes with anonymity that like either side maybe doesn't have. And there's also like, at the same time though, I think to your point, like if you, if you are somebody who's faced with uncomfortable information and it comes to you in the form of like raw feedback that's in the digital form, you know, your tendency might be to like disregard it or maybe not like pay attention to it. Or if it's just a score, if it's just a number and it's abstract and it's devoid of context and it doesn't have a story and it doesn't have a person behind it, you might have a tendency to not act on it. And so one thing that I am very interested in right now is like, how can we as an organization do more to like give human context to the data that we see? And that the data that we're collecting and the data that we're that we have uh, the ability to give people access to, and so how can we humanize that? How can we put it in context? How can we use it to help exactly your point, like drive further conversations? Can we, you know, you can imagine a traditional old, you know, old school community meeting where a mayor or a city council member or a police uh, captain or something goes to and has a community meeting, and it's just a listening session, right? The, 25 people that showed up, talk about the issues that are on their mind. Maybe there's some conversation. Maybe they tell them some data about here are the crime stats. And then everyone goes on their merry, merry way. Does anything actually right. change? I don't know. You can imagine where all of a sudden, you know, let's use the police context. A police captain comes into the room and says, hey, based on the data that I've seen from this people in this community over the past month or two or three months, here are the top five issues that people have said they want us to focus on. Here are the things we're doing to address those issues or here are things that we've done that we think serve those issues. Now let's have a conversation. What else should we be doing? What's not working for you? What could we do better? What can we, and then communicating the conversation that happens in a room of 30 people to the rest of the community. Right. And all of a sudden like data from voices from the community can be used to actually inform what, what happens there. And I do think there's power there that, that we can be a part of. Well, I was going to, I was going to suggest there's nothing but out of work actors right now. So, I mean, like, I just imagine you saying like, Hey guys, like here's 32,000 comments from Minneapolis. Like each of you read 600. And I mean, you could like, I mean, right, right, this right. Is, I don't know if this is a practical thing, but I mean, it would obviously be a much less large sample of comments, but yeah, you but could I, literally I mean, have people reading for other people. Like they can still be anonymous, but they can still be expressed by a human being. It could be. And I also wonder if there are, you know, some people, some people are actually willing to not be anonymous, right? Sure. Like, no, I want my name and my email. I want, I want someone to follow up with me. Right. I want accountability for myself yeah. and for you. And for you. Like, I want you to know that I'm a person in your community that you see and that you serve. And this is my face and this is my name and this is my opinion. And I want you to, to respond. Is to that, that an option right now for Lucid? Like, could I say, yeah. Trey Borden said this. Um, it's, well, no, we're not in that sense, but what we do do is if you're a survey respondent and you get one of our ads through, you know, Instagram or Facebook or whatever, you know, all the survey data is anonymous, but at the end of it, we do say like, Hey, um, if you want to provide your email to be contacted for potential follow on research in the future, then, uh, we offer people the chance to do that as well as, um, in a couple of cities, we're also saying, Hey, if you would, you, this was your comment that you submitted that you said, this is what you would like, uh, police to focus on. If you would like to follow up or you would like to be followed up with by actual police uh, personnel, uh, you can enter your email here and we will pass that on for you as well. And so that's, we're not doing that at scale. We're doing it uh, in a couple cities as an experiment. We started a couple months ago. 
Well, thank you so much for your uh, time, Suji. Before we go, can you actually just list the, the cities that you're active in right now and, and where you might be looking to be active in the future? So where we're looking to be active, I mean, really, it's, it's, it's any city that's larger than like, you know, 40 or 50,000 people. And so and we are serving communities as small as like Redondo Beach here in Southern California. Um, we're working in Chicago and Seattle, uh, Washington, D.C., uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. So a lot of a lot of different size uh, cities and, and, and communities. And here in L.A. as well? Uh, not in L.A., uh, in in. Uh, a couple other cities in South California, and then also cities in Colorado, Colorado Springs, uh, Birmingham, Alabama, folks like that. So, so you're not in New York, LA, like properly. You're in New York. Yeah, we're you're in New York. Okay. Well, good. Well, these are departments that affect a lot of people's lives. So I'm glad that you are at least you got your foot in the door, and hopefully, kind of like you know, growing a relationship. I mean, as someone who is highly skeptical of law enforcement at yeah. this point. I don't envy you, but I do think it's important for people like you to actually be in communication with them because it takes not just them, it takes the lucids and it takes trays and it takes, you know, everybody, you know, essentially to be kind of invested in an outcome for change. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I I'm someone who's, who's skeptical of a lot of things as a general matter. And so I think like, but I do think like trying to bring voices into the room is something that I have always firmly believed in and I still believe in. And of course, like I continue to believe in that. I think, you know, our challenge as an organization is how can we in this moment do more to drive um, progress and how can we not just be a bridge between, how can we not just be someone who, hey, we have this information, here's this information, but to your point, how can we help them make use of it um, more robustly and more in a direction of justice. Well, that's great. Well, we'll all see kind of how it works out and uh, we'll keep our eye on you and I'll, you know, obviously be in touch. So thank you so much tonight for your time. So you just been great. Thanks for having me, Trey. Anytime. Stay safe out there. Likewise. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Well, that was Sujit Rao with Lucid. That's E-L-U-C-D. So I think that for me, some takeaways of that are, Answer these questions. Make your voice heard. I mean, a lot of us are not, I mean, we're still in a pandemic. Going out to protest is not safe for everyone. I mean, anyone maybe, but, you know, maybe not protesting is actually long-term less safe because, you know, if we don't change some of this shit, we are going to be in big, big trouble, especially if you look like me. So I encourage anyone who can go out there to still do that. But, you know, taking advantage of these tools is something really interesting. And I think that, you know, uh, the potential for kind of digital kind of data collection, both from the public to kind of get a real sense of where you're doing well and not like that is what these police departments truly do need. It shouldn't just be protests that they can maybe discredit or kind of like point to as illegitimate or violent. That is how we give our feedback or sparsely attended community meetings. I think this is a really interesting platform that could go, um, that could provide much more insight. But also, I do think that it's interesting to think about how do we don't know what I mean, we don't know police officers. I mean, I don't know, like what my local precinct roster is. I, you know, even that, I mean, I'm not even sure if that's publicly available. Probably they're city employees. Um, but I do think that the idea that we could actually be more widely understanding how cops feel, and not just because of the people, oftentimes very awful people that they elect to kind of lead their unions or lead their associations or prevent any reforms from happening. Like that person's extreme and their whole priority is to resist reform and police accountability. That's literally their job. Um, but that person also is probably not 
totally representative of the actual feelings of the police forces. So I'm curious to see if they actually do pursue um, any ability to kind of survey the departments. Now, whether they'll be open to it or even legally they can be open to it, that's another matter. But thank you so much again for joining us, Suji. This has been another episode of What We're Going to Do. I'm Trey Borden, and keep checking back. I mean, things are happening every day, and we're going to be trying to tackle as many of them as we can. So thanks. Thanks.